Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So smooth, so sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet. Nobody picks him up. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Wondergold, the soccer betting podcast from the Action Network. My name is Michael Leboff. Joining me, as always, for a brand new season, Premier League Soccer Across the Continent of Europe, BJ Cunningham and Anthony DeBundo, my friends and colleagues. And gentlemen, we're back. The Premier League gets underway Friday, August 5th, 3 p.m. Eastern time with a kickoff between Crystal Palace and Arsenal at Selhurst Park. So let's just dive right into the 10-game slate. We'll start with that Friday Night Lights kickoff in South London. Palace plus 340, home underdog. Arsenal, odds on, minus 120. Uh, the draw is plus 275 here. BJ, I'm, I'm actually going to start with you. All three of us became infatuated with betting on Crystal Palace last season. We did our preview pods, our, our season preview pods. All three of us liked Crystal Palace as a potential sleeper in the Premier League this season. But you're an Arsenal fan. We got a little head versus heart action here. Yeah, this is scary. Um, I'm terrified. Two straight years that the Premier League has opened up Arsenal on the road against another London club. It's it's a bunch of crap. Uh, I don't know why they continue to do this. But Arsenal's way overvalued here at minus 130. I mean, Sellers Park was a nightmare for the top six last season. Chris Palace actually had a plus 1.3 expected goal differential versus the big six. That's incredible for a mid-table club. They were one of the best defensive units. We've gone at nauseam how good they were defensively. They finished fourth in expected goals allowed, fourth in big scoring chances allowed, fifth in box entries allowed. They also drilled Arsenal on April 4th, 3-0 at Selhurst Park. And Arsenal closed at minus 105 for that match. So you can say up to minus 130, okay, Arsenal's got some new signings. They've improved over the offseason, but there's going to be no Tomiyasu probably, no Tierney, and no Smith-Rowe. So that's a problem which means Zinchenko's probably going to have to play left back. And then I guess Cedric's probably going to have to play right back. The home road splits for Arsenal last year were pretty drastic. Plus 18 expected goal differential at home, 
minus 5.2 expected goal differential on the road. That's pretty bad for a top six team. And Crystal Palace, like we already mentioned, really, really good at Sellers Park, over a plus 10 expected goal differential. And these two teams weren't that, there wasn't that big of a gap between in terms of expected goal differential last year. Arsenal was around plus 12 and Crystal Palace is plus five. So for Arsenal to be this significant of a favorite on the road to open up a new season, I mean, I have Arsenal only as a slight favorite at Selhurst Park. So if I'm betting with my wallet, obviously I have to take Crystal Palace plus half a goal at plus 105. My heart hopes that Arsenal can win, but we have to bet numbers here. And Crystal Palace is clearly showing a ton of value on opening day. Yeah, I'm on Palace too. I like the money line. Uh, plus 340. Six best expected goal differential in the entire Premier League last year. They were part of the big six, if you just look at yep. XG. Fifth best in uh, expected goals allowed. Fourth in big chances allowed. Wins over Arsenal, City, Spurs, and United. Like you said, the gap just isn't that wide between these two teams going off of what we learned last year, which is not how this game is being priced. The game is being priced as if it's Arsenal versus Crystal Palace, maybe last September, like a, a big the Roy Hodge, the Roy Hodge big, and Crystal Palace. Right, exactly. Right. And this is this is there's really I thought Palace would be getting a lot more respect um in the market here. And maybe it comes in, but it's also this is a standalone game on Friday afternoon. There's very little other sports going on, at least in America, right? Like people are gonna be betting this game. It's the first game of the season. So you'd expect the money, like the casual money, just to come in on Arsenal as the bigger club, the more kind of well-known commodity so you might even be able to get Palace at a better number here I like the Eagles Patrick Vieira did very little wrong last year with this team I know they lose Connor Gallagher but I don't think that for, for a team that was unlucky as much as they were impressive last year I just don't think that the Gallagher uh deleting Gallagher from the roster is going to have as big an impact I think as we all think it will because they, they still have depth up front so they can score their way out of some problems if they need to adjust without Gallagher with Mateta Zaha, Eze, Olise, like there's enough scoring talent on this team, I think, to kind of give them runway to to settle things down in their midfield. Anthony, are you making it three for three? I am going to make it three for three. Uh, no MacArthur for Palace. So I think we're going to see Chuck DeCore make his Palace debut in this match. Very excited to see him. I actually think he might be better than MacArthur in terms of defensive midfielding and ball winning ability. And you look at this Arsenal team, BJ mentioned it. A lot of hype in the preseason. They looked really good in the preseason. Uh, Gabriel Jesus was scoring a lot of goals. I think he had seven goals in four preseason games. So very impressive for him. And, and I'm generally high on Arsenal. And we'll be looking to bet them more often than not, although not if the market's going to show them this much respect, I guess. Uh, but the reality is that I think Palace continues to be undervalued. They did lose Gallagher and that hurts, but Eberichi Eze is going to fill that role. And I think he has more than he showed in the last year. Of course, he had the Achilles injury and he didn't really play much since joining Palace in January of the year, the year prior. Uh, but when he was healthy and playing in that second half of that season, he did show plenty of life, kind of uh, Zaha-esque in his ability to progress the ball up the pitch uh, and create chances. So he does, he's a little bit different than Gallagher. He probably won't have the same number of goals, but I, I do think as a provides a good spark in the midfield. And again, you, you know, BJ mentioned Arsenal on the road, Palace at home, top six team in the league uh, and, and beat, you know, everybody that they played pretty, it felt like at least beat everybody they played on home soil, tied city, beat Spurs, beat Arsenal. And remember, you know, Arsenal went to Palace last year and they were in great form. I mean, they had just rolled through the Prem uh, in the last five or six matches. They had, they had thrashed Wolves, they had thrashed Brentford, thrashed Wolves again, uh, had the impressive win against Watford, steamrolled Leicester 
had the loss of Liverpool, but they played well in that match uh, and then went into Palace as one of the hottest teams in the league before losing, you know, three, no getting embarrassed. So I think the preseason hype is real on Arsenal. And I think some of it is deserved, but in this case, in this market, they're overvalued again. Uh, and just like we, I think we all had Brentford last year. We're all going to be riding the yeah. Eagles. So I took them plus a half, a plus one Oh five. Actually, I took them plus three quarters of a goal, uh, but I'm fine with plus a half at, at, at uh, plus 105. They're all, you know, the same market essentially. But uh, I do think Arsenal is pretty overvalued. I think Arsenal plus 140. So I'm even a little higher than, on Arsenal than BJ is, uh, evidently. But either way, we still think that the number is not quite there. I think that's part of what makes this such an interesting handicap is all three of us in that preview pod were talking about Arsenal as as a buy team, as at, at least in that top six cohort. Uh, and we're going against them because that's just how good Palace is or how underrated Palace is. Uh, in the betting market. And I guess we all thought the the market would have caught up to them by now. And who knows, you know, it's a new season. So maybe, maybe things go pear shaped for him, but uh, I would think it's much less likely that that happens. than it's just another step forward for Vieira side. Yeah. I I don't think Palace got market respect at the end of last year either. I mean, we all bet them against United on the final day uh, and I'd have to go back and look at who they played prior to that, but I'm pretty confident I was betting Palace a decent bit end of the season. No, they had they had that three two loss to Everton. So yeah, I, I know I had Palace in that game. That was more a matter of Everton relegation steam. But uh, generally speaking, yeah, I do think the market has gotten a little bit too disrespectful of Palace at this point. All right, uh, start the season. All three of us on the same side. You know what that means. Let's flip the page to Saturday. Fulham, uh, welcome back to the Premier League to the Cottagers, Craven Cottage, great place uh, to watch a game. They're plus nine fifty, nearly ten to one at home against Liverpool. Second title favorites, Liverpool minus 340, as you'd expect. A big number that you'd have to lay on the Reds. The draw plus 475. This is a 7.30 a.m. kickoff on Saturday morning. Fulham's an interesting team because their championship numbers sparkle, right? 106 goals they scored uh, last year in the second division, plus 63 goal differential. They basically won the league by New Year's Day uh, under Marco Silva. But we've seen him in the Premier League before. I mean, I saw him up close and personal with Everton. He is stubborn in his go, go, go system kind of ignores the defensive side of things. And that's going to be a huge problem (laughs) against Liverpool. So as tempted as I am taking a 10 to one shot on opening day against the team at home, first game back in the premier league after being promoted, it's just, it's hard to imagine this not being a runaway for Jurgen Klopp and the Reds. Anthony, this is your team Liverpool. So what do you have to say? (laughs) Uh, I don't have a ton here. You know, I lean toward the under three and a quarter uh, minus one twenties are out there. Uh, I think Fulham is going to, I think, I think the defensive issues for Fulham are a bit overstated. And I think the quality of this attack is a bit overstated coming out of the championship. Number one, I mean, they ran ridiculously well. Yes, they were dominant in attack in the championship, uh, but they also overperformed quite a bit in expected goals. And so I think there are, there is some under regression coming for this team, generally speaking, with that being said, I also, you know, I know Marco Silva is the way he is, but I, I, I cannot get to them being as open as they were. And I don't think they're going to do that. And I do think that they made some, you know, midfield and defensive additions that will help them at least cope with, you know, some of these prem teams that are going to, you know, have more of the ball and force them to play without it. And, and so the question is, you know, did the market move too much on Liverpool? It's not quite there. You know, if it got to three and a half, I would probably play it. I would definitely play it at three and a half, uh, but at 3.25, it's kind of interesting. You know, I do like Paulinha. Like I think he can provide good ball winning. 
Uh, they signed him from Sporting. Uh, Mbabu is good. Is good right back there. Can get forward, but also decent defensively. And then uh, I'm not sure what to make of it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna lean toward the under. All right, BJ. Anything for you on this early Saturday kickoff? No, this one's a pass for me. I've had projected pretty close on with what the actual market has, including the, you know, I have 3.2 goals, so I'm not really have anything here. I am interested to see what Marco Silva does Uh, to your point, Michael, is he really going to try to be stubborn and play open against Liverpool? Uh, And in general, going forward, is that how Fulham's going to try to play against mid table clubs? Like when they play crystal palace or if they play Leeds, is it going to be more of an open style game? Are they going to try to play more defensive? So I think, and you know, Alan Shapiro from our point total podcast made a very good point. Like, Yes, they ran over teams in the championship. They dominated possession. They were, you know, they had the most 10 plus pass sequences, most sequence time on the ball. Well, they're not going to have that against Liverpool. So are they going to be able to cope and play without the ball and be able to sit in defensively against Liverpool? That's a question that I need to see to be answered first before I decide to play anything on Fulham. So this is a pass for me. It is a very different team from the team that was up two years ago, at least a little bit different, but that team wasn't that bad defensively. They were, uh, you know, slightly below average and expected goals allowed. Uh, and so, you know, you can make the case that, you know, with a more pragmatic approach, they could be better. There's no guarantee we're going to get that though from Marco Silva. All right, uh, let's move to the 10 a.m. kickoff. So we'll start with Leeds plus 130 at home, hosting Wolverhampton plus 215, the draw plus 235. I was almost certain I was going to be betting the Peacocks leads in, in this one. I just don't know if the number's high enough. Uh, so this will likely be a pass for me under Jesse Marshall the leads. They did improve after the Bielsa burnout. They went four, four wins, three draws, five losses in 12 games, 13 goals forward, 19 goals against, and uh, a minus 2.3 expected goal differential. So that team, if that team is what we get, I think that this number does have some value. However, they're betting in a ton of important players here. They lost Calvin Phillips. They lost Rafinha. So I honestly, like at, at the numbers right now, it, it, I would be closer to Wolves, a team that I'm not high on at all, but this will be a, a pass for me. BJ, what about you? Yeah, I think Wolves overs are back, at least for this match here, uh, because I'm not so sure that Leeds defensively improved that much under Jesse Marsh. Yes, they were really, really bad under Bielsa, but... In his 12 matches in charge, Leeds matches averaged three, a little over three expected goals, and they were allowing 1.6 expected goals per match. So, and they didn't really make any significant moves defensively in terms of center backs that's going to improve them going forward this season. And specifically for this match, Luke Ayling, Junior Firpo, and Liam Cooper are all going to miss it due to injury. So as bad as Wolves was offensively towards the end of the season, I think Leeds is going to have some difficulties trying to stop them. Yes, Ralph Menes is out, but... He was only a 0.25 XG per 90 striker last year. He really wasn't that effective. Pedro Neto's back. Pondence is healthy. Adam Traore is back from loan on, from Barcelona. So say what you will about Wolves, but they were a top 10 teams in terms of big scoring chances created last year, even though they didn't get a lot of shots. So they have the potential to be very threatening on the attack. And listen, we've already talked about the Wolves defense, the, the regression that's coming. We don't need to continually go into that, but they were one of the the worst pressing teams in the Premier League. They were 19th in pressure success rate, which is good news for Leeds because they really did struggle playing through pressure last year. And finally, Leeds will have Patrick Bamford back, which is really, really big for them. I mean, he was, he only played six nineties last year, but Leeds did average about 1.5 expected goals per 90 minutes with him in the side. And they were only about 1.2 without him. So he was a 0.63 XG per 90 striker. So in the season before that, a full season, the Premier League, he was 
0.51. So he's a good striker that actually provides some, a goal scoring threat up top, something Leeds I don't think really had last season. So I have about 2.7 goals projected. I'm taking a Wolves over, over two and a half goals at plus 105, but I need plus money or better to take it. Uh, Anthony, you are going with Jesse Marsh, your American hero. That's correct. Why? Uh, the American team of the Premier League. I mean, look, I think they they had a couple big losses with Calvin Phillips leaving, but he did, he barely played last year. And so when you're thinking about, okay, how good is Leeds? And you look at last year's number and you look at the year before's number, that gives you two very different kind of ratings on how good they are. Uh, if you look at just last year's number, they were one of the three worst teams and should have been relegated. But you have to factor in the extreme level of injuries that they saw and I'm not saying that they won't get injured again. That's very possible. Uh, and, you know, Liam Cooper and, and Furpo, they're, they're moderate losses, but they're not losses that I don't think the team can overcome. Whereas Calvin Phillips was the kind of loss they couldn't overcome last season. Now, I think with a healthy Tyler Adams and a healthy Brand- Brendan Aronson and a healthy Luis Sinistera and a healthy Patrick Bamford, I think there's way more attacking firepower on Leeds' side than there is on the Wolves' side. And you mentioned Jimenez being injured. The problem with Jimenez is that one, he wasn't great, but everybody else was kind of worse. Like Huang Hee Chan operates decently well in space, but he's not the kind that has good passing range or is going to manage to, uh, you know, navigate tight spaces necessarily. He's more uh, of a pace and power type player. And the, you know, leads, you, you mentioned it too, BJ with wolves, they don't press uh, much at all. They did early in the season. Then they kind of backed off of that and they kind of sat a little bit deeper and, and waited for opponents to come on to them. Leeds struggled heavily with teams who pressed them under Marsh. Their past completion percentage didn't really go up a ton under Marsh. And that is pretty concerning because of how frenetic Bielsa was. The idea was, okay, if we go to Marsh, we'll slow it down a little bit, improve our passing percentages. That didn't really happen, but you have to remember there was a lot of red card luck that went, you know, you can say luck red card decisions that went against them in that second run of the season under Marsh when they were trying to stay up you know, thinking about the Arsenal and the Chelsea games. So I am generally higher, much higher on Leeds than I am on Wolves coming into the season. I think Leeds are the better team and they're at home. And so, you know, there's some plus 130s out there. I grabbed a plus 140 early, but I, I'm fine with this down to plus 125. And real quick, you know, Wolves and Leeds met in Marsh's third match in charge of the Premier League last year. And if you remember, Wolves went up 2 nothing early and then Leeds just stormed back in the second half to make it to 3-2. And there was about, th- and they leads did create 2.2 expected goals in that match. So deserving winners in that one. And it just shows that Wolves defensive regression can happen. We know that song and dance all too well uh, on this podcast. Uh, let's move on to Newcastle and Nottingham Forest. Forest back in the Premier League for the first time in a long time. Two-time European champions uh, in the 70s are Nottingham Forest out of the Midlands. They will travel to the St. James Park as plus 450 underdogs, Newcastle minus 155, the draw plus 275, another 10 a.m. Eastern time kickoff. I actually like Forrest here uh, as, a, as a good price here. They were 1-1-6 to start the season in the championship. They made a coaching change, 1-1-6, win, draw, loss. So six of their first eight games were losses. They bring in Steve Cooper. They finished 23-11 and 12 win, draw, loss. So 22 wins, 10 draws. Six losses under Cooper. Uh, I think this team has has some Brentford potential. And what did we see out of Brentford last year? They profiled as a good underdog. Strong defensive team. A lot of cohesion. They play to a, a specific game plan that should make them tough to beat, which is the type of underdog I want to bet on. 
And I just think we're going to see Newcastle against these kind of teams be treated like the sixth or seventh best team in the Premier League, you know, in that range, you know, sixth to eighth. And, and I just don't think they've deserved that yet. I mean, if you look at their underlying numbers from February 1st on, 21 and a half expected goals for 22.2 expected goals again. So negative expected goal differential plus four actual goal differential, but they still went uh, 11 wins, five losses and a draw. So 34 points, they should have had 25 according to expected points. So I just think they're going to be overrated against teams like Nottingham Forest, teams like Leeds, go down the list of teams that the market expects to finish below them. So I think you're getting a good price to go against Newcastle here. Anthony, what do you have? Yeah, I mean, it's really tough to figure out for us. You know, on one hand, you know, with the coaching situation, you can argue that they should be better than their numbers may indicated last year in the championship, especially when if you, if you are a Steve Cooper fan, and I know Michael is, but they do have a lot of new pieces. Like there's not that much cohesion at this point. So I'm I'm kind of skeptical of buying them. That being said, I'm not buying Newcastle with that number either. I mean, that's, you know, they're going to be laying a goal, I think, to a lot of teams this year. And it is very hard to lay a goal in the Premier League when your team only averaged 1.05 expected goals per 90 after the transfer window closed uh, last season. And, you know, they could go by Madison and then I will kind of, you know, boost my outlook on this team. Uh, And I do like Callum Wilson. I think he's an underrated striker. You know, the minutes you get of him are pretty good minutes and he generally will, you know, get you, you know, 0.4 goals per 90. But you look around and like, we like Guimaraes, Joanton defensive midfielder. Apparently the defense has clearly improved. Trips helps a little bit with set pieces, but still not getting me there to lay this number. So uh, it's an easy pass here for me. Yeah. And I'm also interested to see how their defensive numbers kind of hold up because Eddie Howe comes in, they were a relegation basically favorite when he took over this team. Uh, And he's not, he's kind of like Marco Silva in a way where he's not a defensively sound manager. He's, he's, he's much more about putting the ball on the carpet and kicking it around and figuring out the rest later. So I wonder how much of what he did last season was more of just like, let's get this team consolidated. Let's make sure this team stays up most importantly. Uh, and then I'll start to work in, you know, kind of my, my ball playing philosophy. So there is a chance that these Newcastle games go off the rails a little bit because they, they do have attacking talent. Now they have obviously offer more going forward uh, than they did before the tr- January transfer window. And with, with how's, defensive kind of vulnerabilities that he showed at Bournemouth. I think Newcastle could be uh, an interesting over team at the risk of making another, another Wolves over kind of like prediction. I, I think Newcastle games are going to uh, be kind of back and forth all season. Uh, and I, I just like the number on, on Nottingham here. BJ, uh, what do you have for this one? Yeah, this is a pass for me. Uh, Anthony kind of mentioned it with all the new pieces for Nottingham Forest. I need to see how they're actually going to set up. Like, are they actually going to, set up in a 3-4-3, a 3-5-2, whatever it might be, and sit in, park the bus, and just look to counter? Or are they going to try to play more open with Jesse Lingard and Awanawi and all these guys, these new pieces that they have? I'm not so sure what they're going to do against Newcastle, and I'm not sure who's really going to control possession in this one. I mean, both the Newcastle was a very low-pressing team. They were very good defensively, very compact, but I just don't know right out of the gates. And I have this projected right on with what it is. Uh, I was looking at both teams score. No, one of my favorite bets out there. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a little while, but that, that's been, that's been bet up to the minus 130, minus 135 range. So that's going to be, I can't, I can't bet that at that price. So I'm just going to end up passing. And I really want to see how uh, Nottingham Forest sets up in this first match. Yeah. Newcastle's interesting possession wise. They were 18th in possession percentage last year. Uh, I do expect it to be higher. 
they were, but, you know, Joe Linton and Guimaraes alone is so much better than Forrest's midfield that I do think they'll have most of the ball here. But, uh, and, and even someone like Dan Byrne is pretty good with the ball at his feet. Trippier, good possession player. Um, Botman, you know, kind of nailing his way into the team. We'll see what happens on that front as well. But uh, I think Newcastle's defense is as much about Eddie Howe as it is just they bought better players. Like, or, and like credit Eddie Howe for like putting Joe Linton in the midfield. But Joe Linton's ball winning, Dan Byrne, you know, the players feel like they improved more than like the manager mm-hmm. magic did up. So uh, that, that's kind of my philosophy on Newcastle's defense being good. Yeah, they also went from one extreme to another uh, with Steve Bruce than to Eddie Howe. Yeah, maybe uh, Steve so, Bruce is just a really bad manager, which I'm much more likely to believe. He's pretty good at getting teams up from the championship. So West Brom coming back up, I'm sure, as he's now at the Howe Thorns with them in uh, the second tier. Uh, let's move on to Anthony's second favorite team, Spurs. They're minus 280, hosting Southampton, Ralph Hassenhudel's Saints, plus 750, the draw, 4-1. to one. There's a part of me that's tempted by the Saints number, but the matchup's just a nightmare. Playing right into the the style of Antonio Conte's preferred style of play with the pressing and then Spurs will just nick the ball and counter and score. And this could be a blowout for Spurs, I think. So I actually like getting plus money on minus one and a half, backing Tottenham to win by more than a goal. BJ, what do you got? I agree. I like Tottenham minus one and a half at plus 105. I actually think they're undervalued in this first match. If we just take their numbers under Conte last year, 2.05 expected goals for per 90, 0.99 XG allowed per 90. That was very clear in way the third best mark in the Premier League behind Liverpool and City. And, you know, they they created a little over two uh, two big scoring chances per 90 during that time for under Conte as well. And they're facing Southampton, who allowed the most big scoring chances in the Premier League last year and didn't really make any uh, defensive upgrades during the transfer window. And Southampton's ultra-pressing style really isn't going to work uh, against this Tottenham team. I mean, Tottenham under Conte was fifth in offensive passes per defensive action. Plus, if you look at Southampton, broja has gone. They're going to roll with Che Adams and Adam Armstrong, which we've already mentioned is maybe the worst striking duo in the Premier League. And listen, Southampton was – they may have gotten a couple results against the Big Six, but – their underlying metrics were awful. 12 matches against the big six, 10.7 expected goals for 25.1 expected goals against minus 14.4 expected goal differential versus the big six. That's really, really bad. So I have Tottenham at minus 1.78 on the spread. So I love Spurs minus one and a half at anything plus money. Anthony, you're a Spurs tragic. So what say you about their opener against Southampton? Is it a potential yeah, you know, banana skin or is this just going to be, you know, walk in the park here? Uh, I definitely think it could be a bit of a banana skin or banana peel. Uh, I think Southampton, while I agree with both of you, plays a style that could be conducive to just opening up the door for Spurs to get in behind with ease and create a ton of big scoring chances. I do think that's a very real possibility. I My number is pretty close to spot on. With that being said, I also don't love Southampton early in the season. I think we've seen this the last couple of years. They started the 2019 season with consecutive losses to Burnley and Liverpool. No shame in Liverpool lost, but they got beat 3-0 by Burnley. Last season, or two years ago rather, uh, they started the season with a loss to Palace and then got thrashed 5-2 by Spurs in a game where their press just looked a little bit off. And then to begin last season, they lost to Everton, as Michael will remember. There was a lot of defensive issues there, pressing issues. And then they, they got a 1-1 draw with United, but they kind of stole it. They got played off the park a bit. 
So I don't love Saints this early in the season. I do think the Hasselhoodle takes a little bit of time, you know, one, two, three games to kind of get into it. Uh, and we saw that last season. I mean, their third, their fourth match of the season, they went to Newcastle and, and they, they had a 2-2 draw, but they played really well. So I think there's definitely an element of that that factors into Saints that keeps me away from betting them here. Uh, I especially think that there is blowout potential. So if you like Spurs, chase a, a, an alternate line, but I'm going to be passing here. Yeah, I think uh, we're going to see a lot of Liverpool Spurs uh, money line parlays, or at least have those two teams as, as an anchor on, on a two or three team money line parlay. There one can give you wonky results. It can, which is, and that's kind of what I was alluding to when I was saying like the, the Saints number tempts me, like the Fulham number tempts me. We're bound to get one, right? In week one, you're bound to get one crazy, whether it's an upset or just a game that, that goes bonkers. Uh, but I just think that the matchup, like you, you can't pick a better first week opponent for first and Saints, I don't think. Um, maybe full. All right, let's talk about the other uh, newly promoted team. Welcome back to the Premier League. Bournemouth plus 275 at home hosting Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa. They're even money on the road. The draw plus 245. This game has a has a pretty low total. And I expect Bournemouth under Scott Parker to be uh, pretty pragmatic about their approach to play. I, I don't think that just the way he's, he's talking preseason, they're not expecting any investment. Like it, it almost sounds like they're saying like, if we get, if we go back down, we go back down kind of situation. And they're not going to worry about doing what Daniel Farka did with Norwich and giving his fans like some, some crazy games because of their wide open style. Instead, I think this is going to be a pretty boring team that maybe tries to burn these it, its way to safety. So I don't think the draw here is terrible. When you look at what Aston Villa's offensive numbers were last year, 18th in big scoring chances, 12th in non-penalty expected goals. Should they improve a little bit in, in Gerard with a full season now that he's got them kind of consolidated in the back? I think you can expect a little bit of an uptick. They, they did some good transfer business. Uh, but for week one, I, I think that this is probably the game that I would bet best environment for a draw, considering the team that's at home probably setting up defensively and the team that's uh, on the road that, that, is favored. They're not the best team at, at trying to push the pace and 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 create or open up a game. So I, I like to draw here plus two forty five. Uh, BJ, what do you see out of this one? Yeah, something similar. I love uh, both teams to score no, uh, which is currently even money. Uh, Bournemouth. I think you already mentioned that they they were actually pretty good defensively in the championship last year. They point nine nine xg allowed per match, second fewest shots per ninety allowed, and they allowed the fewest goals from open play. So behind only Fulham. They had the most 10 plus pass sequences, one of the longest sequence times, very low direct speed. So that tells me that I have a team that's going to probably set up very defensively, play very pragmatic and play very conservative, especially beginning of the season. Well, to your point about the draw, that's going to play in perfectly for this match because Aston Villa under Steven Gerrard were actually pretty conservative and set up as a pretty heavy counterattacking style team. I mean, they led the Premier League in direct speed. I mean, under Gerard, they were 14th in passes per defensive action, 13th in high turnovers, so not a big pressing team. But they were very good defensively. They allowed 1.18 non-penalty expected goals per match under him. They had Diego Carlos, so they're going to improve defensively. So considering that Bournemouth has made no moves to improve their attack, I highly doubt they're going to create over one expected goal in this match. In 16 of 27 matches last year under Gerard, both at least one team failed to create at least one expected goal. So... I have the both teams to score no line projected at minus one thirty one. So at even money, I think there's tremendous value on that. Yeah, it feels it feels like a low event game. So I'm, I'm with you there, Anthony. Uh, you're 
relatively bullish on Aston Villa. Shouldn't be surprising considering their manager is a Liverpool legend and, That's and, you, love your, and you love your Reds. Uh, so uh, what, what do you say here for Bournemouth and Villa? Yeah, I, I lean toward Villa here uh, and I lean toward the under as well. I do think Bournemouth is going to have major scoring issues. Uh, I think they're going to be the worst attack in the Premier League this year. I think you look across the board and there's not a ton to like about them. And Villa, I think, will be a team that is going to be in a weird situation because they're going to be, I think, asked to have the ball more. And I think that's going to be, you know, with Coutinho, with Buendia, the biggest question mark for Villa is going to be, okay, they really didn't do a ton of build-up play under Dean Smith, and they were pretty direct under Gerrard as well. Can they take kind of the next progression step and possess the ball more? We kind of saw that last year with West Ham. Like the first half of the season, they were pretty good at possessing, pressing, winning the ball, keeping the ball, doing what good teams do. And then they kind of regressed back to being a direct counterattacking kind of team and it didn't really work out that well. I think Villa has more to make that work as a whole team than West Ham. Uh, and so that, that really is what, what the question you're asking here for them to go on the road against a relegation level team and create enough to get margin. I'm going to wait and see on that. So I'm going to pass here. Now the moment we've all been waiting for 1230 PM lunchtime kickoff Saturday, Goodison park, the mighty Everton toffees plus 425 hosting Chelsea minus 155, the draw plus 290. Frank Lampard going up against his former team, the team he used to manage. Once again, Everton did have a famous win over Chelsea last season in their bid to stay up. Uh, The big news here is Dominic Calvert-Lewin is out for this one. What? Again? (laughs) Already? Already? Uh, We couldn't even make him through a couple training sessions? We'll we'll see him around Easter uh, for for the relegation scrap. For the record, Michael slacked us and said down uh, with a link to the DCL is injured. Yeah, they're, they're going post down. On Twitter. Um, they're not going down. They're fine. What are we talking about here? They don't have a midfield. They don't have a midfield. They're going to get. I they're, think they're, Chelsea's healthy midfield could just destroy. Like, I'm not laying minus 150, but Chelsea's healthy midfield like should just run through this Everton team and they should roll. Yeah, and I'm, I'm interested to see how Lampard sets up because. Stubbornly, he, he kept going with, with a two in the midfield until finally it became clearer to him after it was clear to everyone they needed to, to pack the, the middle of the park with as many bodies as possible. Um, but he clearly wants to play like a, a, a two-man pivot in the middle, and it just isn't going to work against Chelsea, like you said, uh, until Idris Agana guy comes back, which seems like it's happening. Yeah, their midfield could get overrun by better teams. I think if Calvert-Lewin was playing, there's there was a little bit of interest from me on on Everton at the number I still think the numbers like you said on Chelsea is 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 way too high considering they're a bit unsettled right now but I'll wait on Everton I'll wait to see see how the lineup actually shakes out but I I would still be closer to the underdog here uh BJ what about you well I this is a straight pass for me and I'm looking at the injury list and it looks like Solomon Rondon's injured too so who's yeah, going to play up be top for Everton? Likely, gonna throw he's he's suspended. He got the red card at the end right, of last yeah. year. He's suspended. Yeah, so right, are, it'll likely be Delhi. Delhi Alley up top. Okay, yes. so are we going to roll Goodness. with 3-4-3 again? Or are we going to go back to the 4-4-2? I highly doubt Lampard's going to do that. Who so, are the midfielders? I, I don't know. Ducore, Alan. <laughs> yeah, I, I am <sighs> I'm at a loss for Awobi, this. Awobi was good in the middle, but he's like in a two-man midfield. It's asking too much from him when, yeah, when, he's, he's when he could be that third man who has the ball at his feet. 
It's fine. Like, that's what I'm saying. The lineup is, is this game, I think, is heavily dependent on the lineup for me. Like, yeah, this is such a pass for me. I, yeah. I mean, I have Chelsea at minus 146, and that's before accounting for uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin being out. So I'm just, this is such a, I'm just going to pass and just, just watch this and try to hopefully see Chelsea, uh, you know, at least lose on opening, opening weekend. That would be kind of funny. Yeah. So that's a, that's probably the, the one on, on the whole board that is, got the most dust that needs to settle before we get there. Yeah. Just too much going on. Yep. Let's uh let's move to Sunday then. It's Leicester City as even money favorites at home hosting Brentford. I think if you listen to this podcast regularly, you know where we're going with this one. Uh the B's plus 260 on the road, the draw plus 265. Leicester outpaced their expected metrics, their expected points by 10 last year. Set pieces were a disaster for them. If you flip it and talk about Brentford, their team that that their expected points suggested they're they're due for positive regression and they were really, really good on set pieces last year. Are those two things going to kind of, you know, come come back to the middle in terms of the set pieces? I don't know, but I'm willing to take the shot on Brentford here, plus 260. Leicester City, as Anthony kind of alluded to before with, with James Madison, he might be on the way out, although Brendan Rodgers says he, he, he doesn't want to sell him. Like there's just a lot surrounding Leicester City that I don't like. And we were pretty bearish on them last year to begin with and bullish on Brentford. So I think you're getting a good number here on the Bs plus 260 against a lesser team that I think is ripe for the picking against uh, teams the market has finishing lower than them in the table. Anthony, I'll go to you first about our Bs. Can we make Leicester an under team this year? No. Like, here's my theory. Like, they're going to improve on set-piece defense. Are they? I think so. I don't know about this against – I don't know against Brentford. I, look, I, I don't know about the game against Brentford. I'm saying over the 38-game season. I think there is no way in hell they are this bad again defensively. But I also don't think their offense was as good as the numbers indicated last year. And that's based solely on, you know, looking at just XG across to actual goals, expecting that Vardy is going to slow down, expecting that Vardy is going to get hurt, thinking that Ian Nacho and Daka haven't really taken the step forward to replace his production at this point uh, and the potential sale of James Madison. Now that's a 38 game thing. I don't know. If I want to bet Brentford here, because the home and away splits are scary. And I do think Brentford is going to have major issues scoring this season. I think that that's going to be my kind of criticism of them, generally speaking, especially on the road. Uh, and so I lean toward the B's here just based on my number, because I do, you know, Brentford are a team I'm higher on in the market. Last year, our team I'm lower on in the market. So naturally when they play each other, I like Brentford. Uh, and I'm just not sure. I may, I'm probably going to play this small uh, because I, I do have a lot of question marks about the B's. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like tepidly optimistic about their chances relative, again, relative to the market. So I'm going to lean toward Brentford and I'm probably going to play it small, but I, I'm going to make the case that Leicester this season doesn't have as many crazy wonky games and that we kind of just see a more diluted attack along with a defense that doesn't, can't possibly run that poorly on set pieces again. They can't. I tried to avoid handicapping these kind of things, but Leicester has like this kind of lame duck feel to it this season too. And Brentford's the opposite, right? They were parade last year in their first season up. Thomas Frank has them all on the same page. They all love the system. They seem to gel have gelled really well as a team and coped with the premier league really well as a team. Uh, so in terms of like, just like the general surrounding of the club, and maybe that's why this number is, is where it is. And it's been baked into the handicap already. Um, but I'll get caught up in it and, and, and still go with the bees here. Uh, BJ, what say you? Yeah, absolutely on the bees. So the argument you can make that Leicester's defense is going to improve is because Wesley Fofana's 
finally healthy. He barely played last year. He's a really promising young center back. We'll see if he actually stays at Leicester, if he gets sold to Chelsea or another club before the transfer window closes. So you can make that argument they'll get better. But, I mean, Casper Schmeichel just left for Nice. And he started in 37 of 38 matches last year. And they don't have a replacement for him. So they're just going to roll with Danny Ward, I guess, to open up the season. I would say that he's probably a little bit of a downgrade. I mean, Cassius Michael wasn't that great uh, last year and he was, you know, in his mid thirties. So you can make the argument that, you know, it's not really that big of a downgrade defensively, but I mean, Brentford, I, you know, the Christian Erickson thing obviously hurts them quite a bit, but I think they're going to be just fine offensively, especially on set pieces. I mean, they, they had the fourth most goals off of set pieces and they underperformed. They had 15 goals off of 17.7 expected goals off set pieces. And now they're going against Leicester who, allowed 19 goals off of 20 expected. So yes, they can't run this bad, Anthony, but they're still not going to just regress down to being a mid-level team against set pieces. Like they're still going to probably struggle at some point. They have the same manager. They've made no moves to essentially improve themselves defensively other than getting Fofana in there. So I don't think that Leicester is really going to improve drastically against set pieces. They're still probably going to be one of the bottom five teams against them. So and in terms of a projection on this match, I mean – I only have Leicester at plus 146. I mean, if you look at the two matches these two teams faced off against last season, Leicester beat them 2-1 in both meetings, but XG was uh, Leicester 2.8 to 2.6 in total. So it was pretty close between the two matches. So I, I love Brentford here. Uh, my Plus half a goal, in minus 120. I got played up to minus 127, minus 130, somewhere in there. I, I really do love the bees. I think this is a perfect positive versus negative regression match to open up the season. Uh, Brentford, like Crystal Palace, a team that we often bet on and think. Well, Anthony seems to hate them now. I, I don't understand. <laughs> he now hates them. He he now he's. I just don't get it. We, we Look, I said this on the preview pod. I said this on the podcast here, and now you just want to go off and and rain. Wait, I said this on the preview podcast, and it was. I'm probably going to show value on Brentford just because of how my numbers work, and the market hates them. So I'm probably going to be betting on them, but I think we as a group may be too high on them. You think that we're too although, although Mikel Damsgaard, uh, that's yeah. an exciting sign. Damsgaard, yeah. I, I think that's exciting. a good signing. Obviously, he's not playing this weekend, but uh, I, I do think that is a good signing. Who he's like Erickson Jr. in a way, not because they're both Danish attacking midfielders and because Damsgaard like took over for him when he got uh, when he had the heart attack at the Euros. But like Damsgaard has a similar kind of profile. He like you know gets on the ball, makes good passes, uh, can create a little bit offset pieces. So I do think that is an interesting addition uh, in terms of long term. But again, you know. We're putting a lot on Tony and Waymo here until the Damsgaard gets in the team. And the two of them, their XG per 90 was kind of bad. So well, they got Keen Lewis Potter, baby. And again, another interesting <laughs> sign. Like, I think they're a well-run club. I just, I just think that, you know, and maybe I'm getting a little too pulled in by like the gravity of the, of the second year syndrome, but uh, it's going to be interesting this year with Brentford. They're, they are the, them and probably Leicester actually, arguably are the two teams with, I think the widest bars of how this season could possibly go. But we, like I said, we, we do like Ben and Brentford. We do like Ben and Crystal Palace, a team that we also oh, I'll be betting bet. Brentford plenty. Yeah. I mean, like, and Brentford they gets, they, gets they got in uh, match week two. Let me guess. They have uh, West Ham at home. They're Manchester United at home. Perfect segue oh, here. Speaking of United at home, minus 170, taking on another team that we love to bet. Brighton, uh, they're five to one uh, on the money line. The draw plus 290. This is another 9 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. I think if you go back, you listen to the preview pod. Anthony and I were a little skeptical about Brighton this year, just compared to what we've seen out of them uh, under Graham Potter over like the last, the previous 18 months. Um, But I still think that if you're giving me five to one 
uh, which should still be a very comfortable, you know, mid-table eight, ninth to twelfth place team against Manchester United, who we're already seeing chaos at this team, even under even under Ten Hag, like like Ronaldo and a couple other players left there preseason friendly against Rayo Vallecano early and, and Ten Hag said he was very upset about it or whatever. So there's already all this unrest with the team that was completely unsettled last season. So if you're just, if you're going to give me five to one on, on a solid team in week one, where we already see, you know, the chaos that I was alluding to, this is the game I'm alluding to. We're going to see one, if we're going to see one quote unquote crazy result, it might not seem that crazy to us because we like Brighton, but to the kind of greater soccer world, you know, this will be a big deal if, if Brighton go to, uh, the theater of dreams and, and take three points uh, in Ten Hag's debut with United. And I think that they're full value to do it. Like five to one is a great number for a team that punches up very, very well. So give me the Seagulls. I'm going to fade United at five to one, basically with any team. Uh, Anthony, what about you? Yeah, we just talked about like widest air bars, like most interesting, like we don't know what's going to happen. Like I feel like Brighton is the opposite. I feel like we kind of know that they have a high floor because of their manager and because of their talent. And they have a pretty low ceiling because of their talent uh, and their lack of additions. So uh, I don't understand this number. And I'm a fan of, of United relative to the two of you, but like Spurs didn't even close this high against Brighton at home in March, April, when they played Arsenal didn't close this high. Uh, they were like minus 160, minus 170. Now you're getting minus 180 on United. Yeah, I'm going to take Brighton plus one. If they lose by two, they lose by two. But yeah, I, I make United a, a, a modest home favorite, not minus 180. I, I think it was Wolves last year that United opened up against. And, and it was a similar kind of conversation. It was actually Leeds. It was Leeds. Leeds. It was the five yeah. nil off of right, like right. Leeds. And five one. Right. And it was it was like four goals in three minutes off of all from outside the box. Like it was out of control. Exactly. And 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 I mean, it could go that way. I mean, the odds are telling you that it's, it's, it's likely to to be a United win. Leeds was five to one, actually. Yeah, so we're we're seeing a uh, a similar setup here. Although, I mean, I, I think Brighton proved to us and Leeds proved to us last year that, that they're a better team than than Leeds uh, were, and, and it's kind of the opposite thing where it's like the, the market was super high on Leeds after that first season, and you were still getting five to one. All right, BJ, I know you're where you're going for this one, but but tell us why you love the Seagulls here. Yeah, so. The Ten Hag system, it's going to be interesting. So, uh, listen, I, I'm very, very down on United, and Ten Hag could get the system working, and it could, you know, it could work out towards the middle or towards the end of the season. But right away, I'm very, very concerned about United. So, under Ten Hag, essentially, they played a 4-3-3. They would push their, you know, center backs out. They'd have a central midfielder that come in and would operate that kind of ball-controlling role from the build-up play. You can see why United wanted Frankie de Jong so bad because they needed a central midfielder like, I don't know, a Paul Pogba that could drop into that type of role and play well under pressure. They don't really have that with McTominay and Fred, in my opinion. You know, others may say so. I don't think they're that type of midfielder. So you don't have that. You're facing a Brighton team that was top five in passes per defensive action, second in pressure success rate last season. So you can see where things might be able to fall apart for United. And then you take the fact that Ten Hag is very used to having the ball. I mean, Ajax controlled 62% possession at, you know, in the Eredivisie. Well, now they're going to face a Brighton team that was fourth in average possession last year and is going to be able to control maybe more than 50% against them. So is United going to be set up well to play out of possession? I'm not so sure. And I think we're overlooking the fact that these two teams played the second to last game of the season, May 7, three months ago, and Brighton drilled them for nothing. And the, the 2.8 to 0.8 expected goals. So 
how is United minus 180? I get it, it's at Old Trafford, but minus 180 at home. You could say, oh, well, no Basuma, no Kukurea. I understand that. Those are huge losses for Brighton. But Graham Potter has shown that his system is set up to play extreme. You know, the system does work. They lost Ben White, and they still were a very, very good defensive team. So I think the loss of Kukurea is going to hurt, but not as much as many people are making it out to be. So, yeah, I mean, I to Anthony's point about a projection, I have United at plus 126 at home. So, yeah, I, I don't understand. I mean, who is laying minus 180 with United to open up the season? I, I don't understand this number at all. Yeah. I think of all the all the numbers on the board, it's the one that, if you looked at 10 games, the one that jumped out the most, you know, if, if you're looking at the three-way three way money line, so you're looking at 10 games, three listed odds each, that's the one that jumped out to me first was the United number. I mean, Brighton um, had a better expected goal differential than them last year. I mean, it was, granted, it was 0.1 better, plus 0.4 to plus 0.3, but... I mean, come on, what are we doing here? Like, this is crazy. I, I, we'll take it, right? We'll take yeah, it. We'll and, take and, it, obviously. And we'll watch and we'll, you know, we'll watch United win, like, I don't know, three-nothing off of and maybe Brighton turns back into what they were in the 2020-2021 season, but oh well. I'll take it. Uh, you give me five to one on in this matchup, and I'm gonna bet it a hundred out of a hundred, as our, our dear friend Stucky uh from the Big Bets on Campus podcast would say. Finally, we'll wrap up the Premier League slate with West Ham hosting Man City, the champions back to back. Uh, the draw plus 425 here. City, obviously, you know, is a big favorite, minus 285 on the road. And West Ham, you're getting seven and a half to one. This is the 1130 a.m. kickoff on Sunday. So it will also be on an island. I think it could take some time for City, this this kind of new look City with with a striker, with, a, with an out-and-out striker in the squad in Erling Holland uh, to take some time to maybe gel. They, they, they lost a couple pieces that were very important to them in Gabriel Jesus and uh, Raheem Sterling over and, and Zinchenko, right? Like these were good, important kind of roster squad players. And um, so, so I think it could take some time for this team to gel to bigger roles for players like Grealish, Foden, and then obviously Holland to, to get used to the premier league. So I could be talked into West Ham here and I might do it, uh, but I'll, I'll wait to see where uh, this number ends up, but it, it's West Ham or nothing for me, Anthony, any interest here? Not a ton. Uh, these two teams did play toward the end of last season. Kind of a crazy game. I think West Ham have the ability to take advantage of City, you know, being a little bit uncertain in defense right now. And, uh, you know, the center back situation is a little bit tenuous with the injuries. We're not exactly sure what the first choice is right now. Uh, and so that makes things interesting. You know, are we going to see Nathan Ake? I'd, I'd like to fade that uh, if possible. Uh, and so otherwise, you know, there's not a ton here. I do think West Ham has counterattacking ability to be a dangerous team. So maybe if both teams to score would be a decent look, the price minus 115. Uh, but otherwise, I'm, I'm probably staying away here. That would be the one look I had. Don't hate a plus one and a half either being at home, but ultimately probably passing. Yeah, you'll get a good price on, on West Ham to be the first team to score too. I, I think no matter how you shake this one out, like the, the West Ham correlated bets or West Ham to score correlated bets are, are going to have value. Uh, BJ, what do you think? Yeah, this is a pass me. If I had to play anything, I would lean towards West Ham plus one and a half, but I, I can't really get there. You know, City's going to be obviously, I'm very interested to see, you know, we saw in the, the community shield that they, you know, they outcreated Liverpool and they looked pretty, you know, threatening on the attack. So you know, West Ham's going to be without a GERD, their, their new center back signing. So it's probably going to be 
uh, Obana and, and Zuma again, which could prove to be a good center back pairing, you know, but I'm not so sure. So this one is just a, a pass and wait and see on both these teams for me. All right. That wraps up the Premier League. Uh, the Bundesliga and League U are also back this weekend. So we'll start in Germany. I'll start. I mean, it's appropriate. I just got to do it. Mines plus 125 against Bochum. Mm-hmm. Mines on the road. Uh, but this team is first in big chances allowed last year in the Bundesliga. Uh, so a great defensive team. Bochum 15th in creating big chances. So I think this this one sets up pretty well for for Mines to, to get off and running. A team that we're all pretty high on once again this season. You can get them 25 to one, I believe, still to finish top four in the Bundesliga. So that's a good one to, to play if you want to root along with us on, on our boys in minds. BJ, what about you? Yeah, I like uh, Stuttgart, RB Leipzig, both teams to score at minus 135. So Stuttgart, they did, they were pretty, they ran pretty unlucky defensively last year, but they still allowed over 1.5 expected goals per match. Their goalkeeper, Mueller, was a he was a catastrophe minus over a minus 10 post shot actually plus minus. I expect him to regress, you know, back towards the mean, but you know, he's facing a RB a Leipzig offense under Tedesco that averaged close to two expected goals per match. Um, but I do think Stuttgart will improve offensively because Kalizic is going to be back. He only played 15 matches last year. Uh, when he was in the lineup, Stuttgart averaged 1.58 expected goals per match without him. They're 1.14. So he makes a pretty drastic difference for them. Their shots per 90 go up by about two and their big scoring chances per match went up by about a half. So I expect Stuttgart to improve offensively. So I think this one has potential for chaos and be really up and down style game. I mean, we saw Leipzig gave up five to Bayern uh, in the, in the super cup. So um, I'm expecting chaos here. So both teams to score minus 135. I'd probably play it up to minus 145. Uh, Anthony, your weekly donation in the Bundesliga. Yeah. I mean, there's just some numbers you got to bet in this league and you have to hold your breath and kind of just pray. Uh, and this is one of them, you know, Leverkusen and Dortmund under three and a half. This game always features a ton of stupidity, a ton of wide open play and crazy transitions and dumb mistakes that lead to goals. I mean, last year there was like a kanji just passed it to uh, one of the Leverkusen players and then just tapped it into the open net. There was a goal here, you know, so there's always dumb things that occur in this match, but let's, let's, let's take a step back a little bit. Leverkusen last year benefited from bad goalkeeper play to the tune of about nine goals over their expected goals. So that was just opponents, goalkeepers making mistakes, not saving shots relative to the post shot numbers that we know from FB ref. That was nine. That was the second worst. The next team at the top of the list, Dortmund, 17 goals. So you're looking at two attacks who are good, but not nearly as good as those numbers indicate. And now you're introducing some uncertainty. Dortmund loses Erling Holland. They have Kermadiemi coming in. They have Haller coming in, but Haller's out. So we're not quite sure what we're getting from the Dortmund attack. And I'm very high on Leverkusen, but Florian Verts is still out. And he is one of their better attackers, creators, uh, kind of a Kai Havertz-y type, but a little bit different. Uh, Verts is very good, but he's not playing. So I think, and they have Adam Holak coming in, uh, a new, new striker to pair with Schick. So there is a little bit of a chance that these teams just come out a little bit slow. And I'm going to try to bet against that and take the under three and a half on opening weekend in the top spiel of the weekend. Uh, all right, real quickly in League uh, Anthony, let's just go right back to you. Yeah, so I'm going to try to, you know, do a pick every week in uh, League on this year. I, we had a lot of fun with it at the end of the season. France was good to me. Uh, and I'm going to start with the most overrated team in the league. It's Nantes. I'm going to fade them with Angiers. I uh, just think the price is wrong. I think Angiers should be a solid 
a home favorite. Their line is a toss up. Uh, so give me Angiers, who was better last season, projects to be better this season at home on the Toronto bet line. Most exciting game of the weekend, Angiers versus Nantes. <laughs> uh, BJ, what about you? I'm going to go for even a, a lesser exciting game. Marseille versus Reims. Uh, Sounds exciting. It's going to be really exciting because Marseille finished second last year, but they honestly weren't that impressive. Offensively, they were fifth in XG4, fifth in shots per 90, seventh in big scoring chances. Their penalty luck was incredible. They had 10 penalties, which was tied for the most in league. Uh, from open play, they only averaged 1.15 XG per match. And opening weekend, they're going to face probably the most conservative team in France. I mean, Reims was 10th in non-penalty expected goals allowed last year. They were 17th in shots per 90, but fourth in big scoring chances allowed. I mean, these two teams played as recently as April 24th, and there was only a total of 1.3 goals, expected goals created with Marseille winning one nothing. Reims, they literally were one of the worst offensive teams in France, averaged only 0.89 non-penalty expected goals per match. And their best striker, Hugo Ikateke, just got sold to PSG. So I love under two and a half goals, uh, which is currently at even money at most books. So I think it's going to be very difficult for either of these teams to create any chances. I have 2.13 goals projected, so under two and a half for me in Marseille versus Reims. And now we get to stroll over to our favorite part of the show, our underdog, Parlay will give out our three favorite underdog bets across Europe uh, for the given game slate. Uh, and then we'll tell you what the parlay is if if you put all three of them together. We came close a couple heart breaks. Many last a season. time. Yeah. So um Spurs led one no at Anfield. And that was that was the moment. It was yeah. like 80 to 1. We're due. Uh, We're and then due. Brentford, Brentford on a Monday. That was we needed them to win. They got crushed. And then there was a one point, like a French league match that we needed. BJ needed and that it, they, they ended up, up to nothing on Marseille and then they gave up five straight goals in like 20 minutes. So yeah. Um, and then there was, let's, the, hope, there let's was, hope we run a little better with luck this year. Yeah. We've had some bad luck on those. Uh, but if you, if your heart can't stand that kind of pain, maybe skip ahead, you know, 45 seconds and, and you'll hear our best bets uh, in the premier league as we close the show with that every week. All right. My favorite underdog. I like Brentford plus two sixty against Leicester. It's quite simply. Don't think these two teams are that far apart. Leicester is a team I'm selling this season. Brentford, a team that I'm still, you know, I'm not as high as uh, I was on them going into last year, but I'm still still into the Bs, baby. Uh, in terms of their underlying metrics, I think Brentford was the better team last season. So uh, give me the Bs. Buzz, buzz as my first underdog of the season. BJ, what about you? Yeah, Brighton 5-1 to one at Manchester United. This line we've already mentioned is pretty crazy. Brighton, a team that profiles very well against the big six. You know, top five team in terms of average possession, top five pressing team, and also top seven at playing through pressure. So if Ten Hag is able to implement a system, at least for this first match, and Manchester United somehow turns into this pressing giant that they were not under Regnick, well, Brighton's still well-equipped to play through pressure, and Brighton just smashed them 4 nothing the second to last game of last season. So Brighton five to one for me as my underdog. And Anthony good weekend for underdogs since 2012. If you bet every underdog of plus 200 or better in the premier league, you'd be up a hundred dollars on each. You'd be up $2,000. So about a 24% return on investment on opening weekend, uncertainty players getting fit. All that factors in teams may not play to their true talent levels more. So you, that just increases the variance for underdogs to do well. That being said, I'm going to the Bundesliga for my underdog because I do think the same principles apply in other leagues. Uh, we don't have the data for it, but I like Leverkusen plus 210. Dortmund is a team that I am in the long term extremely impressed by what, the changes they made, but there were so many changes in midfield, defense, and attack that I think there's a chance they start slow under Edin Terzic. Uh, Leverkusen, I think less of a chance of that. Uh, Leverkusen also excellent in space, so much pace. 
so much ability to just destroy you in transition that I think that this could you know be a, a real toss up of a game. So I'm at plus two ten. I'm going to take Leverkusen. So it's uh, Brentford, Brighton, and Leverkusen. You parlay all three of those teams. Sixty six to one. A good way to start the season if it comes through. Uh, all right, now we'll talk about our best bets in the Premier League for match week one. BJ, let's start with you. Brentford plus half a goal at Leicester. I think this is a perfect positive regression meets negative regression. Brentford was about seven goals behind in terms of what their actual versus their expected. Leicester overperformed drastically last season. You have also have a Leicester team that we've already mentioned is horrible on set pieces. They allowed 19 goals off of set pieces. Brentford top five in, in goals and expect goals off of set pieces last year. So this line is way overpriced for Leicester. I love the bees plus half a goal. Your favorite underdog was Brighton. Your best bet was Brentford. My favorite underdog was Brentford. My best bet Brighton five to one against Manchester United. Sometimes you just see a number and it jumps out at you at minus 170 Manchester United against Brighton at home. Even it's way too high. Uh, this Brighton team is getting no respect uh, in this market. I think maybe people are buying into a Ten Hag revolution starting match week one. There's already a lot of chaos at United before the season even started. So give me Brighton. I know that there's been some important players moved out, but I trust Graham Potter. I think he's one of the best managers in the world. So if you're going to give me five to one to fade a United team at this moment, I'm going to take it basically with any other team in the Premier League. Uh, So give me the Seagulls. Five to one is my favorite bet. Started off with a bang. Anthony, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to go Palace plus a half at plus 105 against Arsenal on Friday to start the season. Arsenal had a great preseason. They've been overvalued because of that. They do quietly have a few key injuries, left back, right back, potentially in the midfield as well with Emil Smith-Rowe. I love Arsenal, I think, generally as a chance to compete for the top four, but I do think a road trip to Selhurst Park is about as difficult as it's going to get on opening weekend. Palace top six defensively last year. Palace top six at home. Took a lot of scalps off the big six. So I do love Palace plus a half. I think they get a result on the first game of the season. And with that, our first episode of the season comes to a close for BJ Cunningham. For Anthony DeBundo, I'm Michael Lebo. Thank you for listening to Wonder Goal and good luck with all your bets this weekend. And join our fantasy league. Link in the show notes.